How's everybody doing? I feel like there's like a lot of weight on this side of the room. Not so much over here, but no, it's good to see everybody here this morning. My first car uh, when I turned 16 that I purchased was a 1994 Ford Thunderbird. And I love that car. Man, I remember shopping around and when I saw it on the dealer's lot, I knew that was the one. That's what I was going to get. And when I finally bought it, I drove it off the dealer's lot and it felt good, right? Like that first car smell, like it was, it was just good. Everything about it was great. And that night, I took it to uh, my high school small group. We had a meeting that night, so I drove it there. Uh, and afterwards, I drove to Wendy's, and I got a burger with some friends. And then we were going to head back to a buddy's house. Uh, so I had a guy in my passenger seat, and we got to talking. And it was a great conversation, uh, so good. I didn't even see the light turn red until I was halfway in the intersection. So I slammed on my brakes, uh, but a little too late. There was a car turning and clipped my back bumper. Day one of having my precious black beauty, as I called her, the black 1994 Ford Thunderbird. Uh, day one was also the day of my first accident. And looking back, it was a pretty minor thing. I think I had a, a hole punched in the, the bumper molding. Outside of that, it was fine. But it felt like my whole world was over. I remember it was about 8.30 when I got home and I was just beside myself. I felt sick, I felt shaky, I was frustrated, I was sad. I went and flopped on my bed, threw my blanket over my head, and I had never wanted a day to be over more in my life. And you've probably had a day like that too, if I had to guess. We've all had a day. Maybe like me, it was a literal day. Maybe it was more of a season that you just could not wait to end. Those are hard, but it's even worse when you know that it's your own fault that you wound up there. Something you did, something you said, something you didn't do or didn't say, you're just kicking yourself the whole time and you this sick feeling in your gut. You know you screwed up and this is the punishment. I hate that feeling. And it's almost a universal thing that everybody goes through at some point. And it's in that spot that our passage this morning begins. This is week three of a series called Happy Trails. We're looking at a chunk of the book of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And these were songs that pilgrims sang as they traveled to Jerusalem for their religious festivals. They sang them on the journey and the good parts and the bad. And what we're finding is that pilgrims in our own right on this road of life, those pilgrim songs still have a lot of truth to share with us about life, about God, and about his character. So this morning, if you would, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to Psalm 130. It's where we're going to be. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screens to the side, or you can download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device, tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, followed by the sermon notes tool, and you'll find our passages and our notes outlined for you, ready to engage with and get the most out of our time together. Now, like we said, this, this feeling, those days that you cannot wait to end, that's kind of a universal thing that we all experience, and we share it because of a universal problem that we all have. It's this problem called sin. And the problem of sin has real-time consequences. And I phrase it like that because sometimes when we read through the Bible or even in church when we talk about sin, we frame it in a certain way that makes it seem like it's just kind of a down-the-road problem. Like sin is what separates me from God and, and therefore keeps me out of heaven. And so Jesus, he came into this world, died on the cross to forgive me of my sin so that someday I can go to heaven. You see like the down-the-road connotation to that? And sometimes that's how we frame it. 
Not realizing that the rest of Scripture actually does a really good and thorough job of describing how sin has real-time consequences like now, today. And that's what we find at the beginning of our passage in Psalm 130. If you want to look at the first two verses with me. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So this guy's not having a good day, obviously. He's crying out to God for mercy. Something has gone wrong in his life. He calls out from the depths. And the depths, you know, when I hear that, sometimes I think of a hole. But really in Hebrew literature, it's a way of talking about the sea or some sort of watery grave. So we might even interpret this as saying, like, he's drowning in his sorrow, frustrations, Turmoil. We're not really sure what the emotional connotation is here. We just know it's intense. It's kind of left blank on purpose. This is another example of something we spoke about a few weeks ago, how this nonspecific nature of the psalm almost invites you and I to fill in the blanks, to put ourselves in this story. And, and maybe our situation Our bad day we wish would just end already. Maybe that's what we think of when we read these words or maybe how we felt, our frustrations, our turmoil. It's kind of like a Mad Libs in some way. If you've ever played that game, you know, you go on the car ride and you've got like the story, but it like deletes some really important words and just leaves a blank and you have to fill it in. So instead of like, I read one last night because I thought about doing one as a church but I thought that'd take a lot of time. But you know, it's like the ice cream man brought me and then you have to have an adjective flavor and oh, it was so, and then you fill in an emotion, you know, like delicious or icky or superfluous or, you know, something like that. It's a Mad Lib where you fill in the blank with your own little story. And that's kind of the way that this psalm works. It has this kind of generic description of emotion and this generic situation that took place, and it invites each of us to put ourselves there and to sing these words out loud. And in doing so, this becomes a song for all of God's people because we all go through this. We all have those times of life where we cry out to God for mercy because we've messed up and found ourselves in a situation that we wish would just end and go away. It's a universal situation, and at the cause of it is the universal problem we talked about. Look at verse 2, or sorry, verse 3. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And there's our word, sins. God, if you kept track of everybody's sins, who could stand before you with a clear conscience? And the answer is nobody. Nobody could. This is an idea that's fleshed out even further when we look at the book of Romans in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is a universal problem. This guy in the Psalms, he deals with it. You and I, we deal with it. And as we see in the Psalm, it's not a someday down the road problem that's causing issues later on in life. It's causing an issue in his life right now today in real time. The same way that you and I experience consequence in real time. Maybe it's, it's your marriage, and we ask, why is my marriage crumbling? Or why are my kids making decisions that just are breaking my heart? Why is my relationship with my siblings on the rocks? Why, why is my boss riding my back? Why am I always short on money when the bills come due? All of these problems fill in the blank. The root cause of all of it is sin. Now, maybe it's your sin. 
Maybe it's somebody else's sin. I heard a preacher one time describe it this way. He says, somebody else's irresponsibility will always become your responsibility. Somebody else's irresponsibility will always become your responsibility. And what he means by that is that our actions aren't contained to the confines of our own lives. They spread out. They infect other people's lives. You think about a a rock when you throw it in a, a, a pond. That initial point of contact, it it doesn't stay there. The energy ripples out further and further and further. And sin is kind of the same way. The sins of our lives, they don't stay confined to our lives. They ripple out and they affect other people's lives. And other people's lives affect you. Maybe you are, are being an upstanding person. You're doing everything right. You're following the rules of the road. And then some 16-year-old kid isn't paying attention to the traffic signals. And he comes into the intersection. And you can't help but turn into his bumper. His irresponsibility just became your responsibility. His sin just spilled over into your life in a pretty fantastic way, right? And this is the way it happens. And when you get 7.5 billion people on the planet, all falling short of the glory of God, all unable to stand before him if God kept a record of sins, you get all that happening. No wonder the world looks the way that it does, right? We've got a hurricane of ripples just cascading and colliding into one another. Sin is responsible for a lot of stuff. And here's the thing. We can't start to deal with it and move past it until we acknowledge our contribution to it. Again, going back to our passage, God, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? Nobody. All have fallen short of the glory of God because of their sin. You and I have sinned, and we have to take ownership. When those things in our lives start to go wrong, when our marriage is struggling, when our kids are breaking our heart, when our siblings are, our relationship's on the rush, when, when that fill-in-the-blank problem spills over into our lives, we have to acknowledge that at least in part, it's our fault. We've contributed to this sinful world. We've made our own deposits of brokenness. And this is where the psalm brings us in these first three verses to this real chipper place where we all have to acknowledge, I have messed up. And that's why these days I wish would end, fill my life and mark the road that I'm walking. I bet you're all glad you got up and came to church for this this morning, right? Super chipper message. We're all inspired by this, but it's true. We all have this universal problem called sin. But here's the great news, okay? This, all of this, true as it is, is not really the point. All of this is just setting the stage so that the psalmist can start to sing about and celebrate what he's really focused on and interested in. You see, God's mercy means that a new day is always coming. Those days that we wish would just end because we've messed up and our days are filled with turmoil and strife. Here's what God's forgiveness means. They will end and a new day will come. Tomorrow's always a new day. The psalmist starts to sing about this when we look at verse four. There's a turn and tone. He says, but with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And there's kind of this funny but very beautiful picture being painted here. It's almost as if forgiveness is a traveling companion to God. Wherever he goes, forgiveness is just like tagging along right beside him. It's inescapable. Whenever you come and you meet God, inevitably you're also going to meet his forgiveness because it's always there. 
Right now, my youngest, Ben, he's not quite two, but he has a best friend named Puppy. And Puppy is this light blue, kind of floppy, stuffed animal dog. And Puppy goes everywhere with Ben. They are inseparable. Ben goes to bed with Puppy. In the morning, when we get up, Ben is very concerned if we don't bring Puppy out of the crib with him. Puppy will oftentimes sit at the table with us and eat. Puppy gets a little messy sometimes. And we're able to like go into stores and things without Puppy, but most of the time it's because Puppy is out in the van waiting for us. In fact, later today, I wouldn't be surprised if Puppy made a visit to our parking lot. Those two are inseparable. Wherever Ben goes, Puppy goes. And that's sort of the image that we get here with God and forgiveness. Wherever he goes, forgiveness is found. Whenever we encounter God, we inevitably are going to encounter his forgiveness as well. Now, I don't want to confuse us. Verses 3 and 4, they're not painting this picture that our sin is not really that big a deal and God just sort of sweeps it under the rug and says, yeah, we just won't deal with that for a while. Sin is a very big deal. I mean, we had this little short list of problems that it causes. We spent all that time talking about it, and it was very depressing. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. If we were to look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we get a little better indication of the real big problem of sin. It says, for the wages of sin, meaning the paycheck that we earn through our sin, the, the price that is demanded because of sin, the wages of sin is death. Physical, spiritual, eternal demise. That's a pretty big problem. Now, some of you may know that there's a little bit of good news at the end of that verse. And we'll get there in a little bit. But right now, I just want to illustrate, this is, this is a big deal. That God's forgiveness doesn't mean it just gets swept away and, and it never is dealt with. The good news of God's forgiveness and mercy simply means we aren't the ones they have to pay the price. Somebody else takes up that wage. And that's something to celebrate. That's what I mean when I say the real focus of this psalm is the celebration of God's forgiveness. If sin is that big of a problem and God still somehow manages to find it in his heart to show mercy and compassion, forgiveness and grace, how great is that God? He meets us in the middle of those dark days of our own making. He's, he reminds us, hey, tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow is still going to come. I know this is hard, but a new day is coming. And in fact, that's where the psalmist starts to turn his attention to is that promise of a new day and a second chance when we get to uh, verse 5 and 6. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He recognizes there's this promise of a new day and a second chance. He's still wrestling with the consequences of his sin that he finds himself in, but he knows that new day is coming and he longs for it. He yearns for it like a, a watchman on the night shift, just looking on the horizon, waiting for that sun to rise. And that's an image that personally I, I resonate with a great deal. Uh, in my early 20s, uh, I was a youth minister at a church for several years. And my least favorite activity was the church lock-in. 
Uh, and that's where you get 30 or 40 teenagers in the building, locked in there all night, playing games, hanging out, having fun. It's a blast for them. It was a nightmare for me because I have to keep these 40 teenagers out of trouble and entertained and not burn the building down for like 14 hours on no sleep. It was a nightmare, but I always had a plan. I would start around 6.30 or 7, that's when the kids would show up, and then I would play the most physically demanding games I could think of for five or six solid hours. Just really burn those calories, right? When you get everybody nice and tired. And then around 12.30 or 1, just cram them full of greasy pizza. None of that thin crust stuff. I want that heavy dough sitting in their gut, Right? And then about 2, 2.30, that's when you turn a movie on in a dark room that is specifically climate controlled for optimal sleep. And you say, everybody stretch out and get comfortable. We're going to watch a movie. And inevitably, that's when they fell asleep. That's how I made it through so many lock-ins. However, there was always this band of rebels four or five students that said, we're going to stay up all night. And inevitably, two of them were like the guy and the girl that had been making googly eyes at each other all night. And I'm a youth minister. I'm not trying to start a children's ministry, right? You follow me? So we got to watch these two. So I would stay up all night with these four or five kids, and there was this big glass window in our church lobby. And I remember looking out that and just looking for the sunrise, longing to see it. Because if the sun was going to come up, that meant this incredibly long night was over and that soon parents would arrive and take their children home and I could go to bed. That's all I wanted out of the church lock-in. I longed to see the sun the same way these watchmen longed to see the sun, the same way that this psalmist and that you and I longed to see that new day, that second chance that new beginning that God's grace always brings. That's the celebration of this song. Even when we find ourselves in those days that seem like they're not gonna end, those days of our own making that we kick ourselves over, that we just can't seem to shake, God meets us there and reminds us, a new day is coming. My grace is sufficient. A second chance is just on the horizon. That's a great promise. But when we find ourselves in the frustrations of those days, it can be a hard promise to believe. But there's some good news because God has given us a sufficient reason to hope. We look at verse seven and eight. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There's this really important shift that happens here. If you were to go back and look at the grammar, everything, all the pronouns have been first person singular up to this point. It's a very personal experience. The psalmist is talking about himself and his own dark days, but now it shifts and he talks to all of God's people and he says, all God's people, you need to hear this. All God's people, put your hope and your faith in the Lord. All God's people who find themselves in those dark days of their own making, who struggle against sin, who are dealing with its consequences real time, hear this and put your hope in the Lord. Because all God's people inevitably are not just going to encounter his forgiveness, you're gonna encounter his other traveling companions as well. With him is unfailing love, we read. 
And this is a love that is loyal. The Hebrew word is hesed, and it's a, man, is it a dense word. It's like we, we need, and I'm not exaggerating, about 15 words to describe the fullness of what this love is, but unfailing will have to do for now. And this is a love that isn't built on you and me and our performance, but is built on God's unchanging character. And that's a great thing. Because you and I, even the most stable of us, are kind of flippant at times. One day we're secure, we're faithful, we're obedient, our faith knows no bounds, and maybe the next day we're a little anxious, we're uncertain, we're doubtful, maybe we're skeptical, we're all over the place. You and I are kind of like sand on the seashore. The waves come in and it goes out and it kind of tosses us all over the place. We change. But God's character, he's like this rock on the seashore. The waves come in, they go out, rock hasn't moved. They could come in gently or they could splash violently against the side. It doesn't matter. He's not going anywhere. His character is unchanging. The God that we read about here in the Old Testament, same God we read about in the New Testament, same God you and I encounter today. He doesn't change. And that means that his love doesn't change. And when you engage with him and you encounter him on this road of life, you inevitably are going to encounter his forgiveness and his unchanging, unfailing love. And you're also going to encounter his third traveling companion, his full or his abundant redemption, his ability to save. And it's not just a limited ability to save. It's not just his ability to save some people. This is a full, this is abundant, abundant. This is a sufficient ability to reach into any day, no matter how dark, to go down any road, no matter how far it is from him, to find and to redeem. And we have reason to believe he can do this and will do this because of how this psalm ends in verse eight. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He's the one that's gonna do it. He will take it upon himself, this almighty God, this maker of heaven and earth. He himself is the one that's going to save his people from their sins. And you and I are incredibly blessed because we actually get to witness how this happened. If you were to fast forward a little bit to the book of Luke, in chapter one, verse 68, this is another song. This time it's being sung about the impending birth of Christ. And this is how it goes in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. There's this promise in Psalm 130. God himself will redeem Israel from their sins. And then we read the fulfillment in Luke 1, chapter 68. God has come and has redeemed it's the rewording and the fulfillment of this promise, and it's found in Jesus. Jesus is the answer of Psalm 130. This is how God himself came into this world and found us and redeemed us. He chased us over the hills as if we were stray sheep and like a good shepherd brought us home. Earlier, we talked about sin and how it isn't this thing that you can just sweep under the rug and pretend it didn't happen, that it has to be dealt with. But the good news of God's grace is we're not the ones that deal with it. That's because Jesus dealt with it. We go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, remember? But here's that second part that I talked about. That good news. The gift of God. Not the earned wage, not the price that we deserve, but the gift of God. 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody had to pay for our sin. The good news of the gospel and God's forgiveness, we weren't the ones that paid it. When I had my fender bender, um, it was a little bit of a disappointment. New car, first day, already had a, a cracked bumper molding. I just wanted the day to be over. And inevitably, it did end. A new day came. Sun rose. Earth kept spinning, you know. And that afternoon, my dad came into the, the driveway with something in the bed of his truck. He went to a junkyard that afternoon, uh, morning and he found a, a black bumper molding for a 1995 Ford Thunderbird. Not quite the same, but it's close enough we could make it fit. And he called me out of the house and we went out and he and I together, we fixed my car. And it looked better and instantly I felt better. And my life now felt like I could move forward. I wasn't stuck in this funk or this dark night where I had ever just broken this most expensive thing I've ever bought, you know? The most important thing in the world to me was now fixed. It was a great thing. And it didn't cost me anything. But it's not because it was free. It's because somebody else paid for it. It's not like my dad just abracadabra and poof, a bumper molding showed up in his truck. He paid that price. He, in his generosity and in his kindness and in his mercy, alleviated my suffering. He went, he paid the price, he made the difference, he fixed my life. He's the one that covered the cost. That's what happened with Jesus on the cross. God himself came to this world, found us in our dark nights, in our misery, lost in our sin, called us home, and paid the price so that you and I can start to move forward again. That's why we can have assurance that these days that we just wish were done will end. That a new day will come because God's forgiveness and his unfailing love and his redemption are always found when we walk this road of life with him. We know it to be true because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing promise that he invites us to take hold of. And I'm not going to insinuate that just because you say yes to Jesus, all your bad days are done. That's ridiculous. But I am going to promise you that because you say yes to Christ, there's always the hope and the promise of a new day and a new beginning because ours is a God of second chances. He is the reason we can walk a happy trail. Now, so here's our next step. Here's our challenge. Because if we hear a sermon and it's good, we go, yay, that was a good message. But if we don't do anything with it, we've just wasted our time. So here's the next step. A lot of us have these days. Maybe we're in them right now. Maybe they're ones that happened in the past. We have a hard time letting go of those. God's already letting go of it. He, he's healed it. He's moved it. He says, let's move on to the new day that I'm giving you. But some of us, we hold on to that stuff as if we're supposed to beat ourselves up over it and kick ourselves perpetually for the rest of our days. If you were to go back and look at verse four, that's not what we're called to do. It says, with him is forgiveness, that we might with reverence serve him. The purpose of God's grace is to set us free to serve him, not to revel or relish or squalor in our sin and its consequences. So here's my challenge. Forgive yourself. In Jesus, God has already forgiven you. Maybe we need to let go of that and forgive ourselves and realize you are free. This is the new day. This is the new beginning. Seize it. Serve God because of it. 
And if you haven't said yes to Jesus and you haven't tasted that forgiveness and that new day, maybe for you today, that's the decision because sin is not a someday down the road problem. It has real time consequences today. And Jesus is not a someday down the road savior that you just need to get good with before your life ends. He has salvation and redemption for us today. And so maybe today you need to meet him and accept him. And if that's what you wanna do, I'm gonna be in the back of the room uh, in front of the sound booth. We're gonna sing a song here in just a second. So with that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you again and again and again and taste your grace and your forgiveness. As we encounter you, may we be reminded of your mercy and your love that never fails and your redemption that is fully sufficient. And we praise you for second chances and new beginnings. We praise you for the opportunity to let go of the past, even the the past of our own making, and to embrace this new future that you have for us, a future that is forgiven and redeemed. Lead us forward, Father, down this road. Let us walk with you and taste of your goodness. It's the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.